It's December 13, 2017. Welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, Matt Motoki is here to tell us about a new local meetup group focused on machine learning. And then we'll hear the latest developments in the quest to find a vaccine for the Ebola virus. Elliot Parks and Axel Lehrer are both here to join us for that. All right. But first up, let's welcome Matt Motoki. He's here to tell us about the Machine Learning Meetup Group. Welcome to the show. Hi, Bert. Hi, Ryan. So let's start with uh, your definition of what machine learning is. Well, machine learning is the study of computer programs that uh-huh. learn to solve a task from data. So, for example, if you wanted to teach a computer to, say, count fish, one thing you could do is show your computer lots of images of fish and give it the corresponding number of fish in each image. You could also give it more information, say, like the location of each fish in the image. And after you show your computer thousands and thousands of images, mm-hmm. you would expect the computer to learn what a fish looks like, or at least learn to predict the number of fish in each image. Now, you could go really technical and try to identify and use measurements and really explain what a fish is. But when you talk about machine learning, it's a little more dynamic than that. It's, is there an element of artificial intelligence in terms of it finding its own way to identify something? Exactly. Um, machine learning is actually um, like a branch of artificial intelligence, which is concerned with learning how to predict something from data. And so for the specific example of um, showing a computer an image of fishes and having it predict the number of fish, Mm -hmm. you would use something like a neural network, which is inspired by our brain, but it automatically extracts those features that we would think are fish-like. Now, an example that I recently came across is maybe five or uh, maybe two or three years ago, I started using Google Photos, and I was excited that you could type in cat, and it would find all the cats in all of the pictures you've ever taken. It knew what a cat was, but it didn't know what a spam musubi was. But just this year, I typed spam musubi, and it can now identify a spam musubi. I'm sure that it, nobody went in and specifically said, this is what that is. But across a data set of millions of photos, it started to make that association. Exactly. Um, one of the reasons why we're seeing the explosion of machine learning interests is that um, machine learning or the best algorithms scale with big data. And so the best algorithms are able to extract all that information from the big data sets that we're seeing today. So when you, uh, and the the project that you're talking about was the one that you folks did with Purple Prize and you basically are using machine learning algorithms to teach the computer to identify fish. In the example that you're you're drawing upon, uh, you kind of mentioned thousands of fish, but realistically, are you able to get that many images? And how do you sort of increase it by just having more and more video of mm-hmm. fish in the fish pond to to use mm-hmm. as as test bait? So, the bottleneck in our algorithm mm-hmm. was actually getting the labels for the images. So we needed to tell the computer how many fish are in each image. And we did that with a manual process. We Mm -hmm. actually had to go in and label what each fish was. And so that took a lot of time. But um, what we're looking to do now is get a commercial fish counter and use that to produce the labels for us. And so our machine learning algorithm would actually just learn to essentially replace the expensive fish counter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, in the in the example that uh, Ryan brought up about the spam musubi, I mean, is is somebody helping the, I guess, the computer identify what at least the initial spam musubi was? 
or how how are they actually com- you know categorizing all of those into that category um that's a good question google they they've indexed the entire internet and so they may might be looking at their images that people upload label, label it that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, exactly so getting to the uh, the meetup i mean what do you folks cover in this machine learning meetup and what would uh, what would you like to have in terms of attendees i mean what 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 kind of profile are you looking mm. for so we're a pretty open group as long as it's machine learning related we're we're okay with having a presentation on that mm-hmm. as far as um, our membership we're also a diverse group we have people who are new to machine learning They've heard um, about machine learning. They know that it can be transformative, and they're just interested in learning more about the technology. But we also have um, members who are maybe like machine learning experts, and so Mm. these are people like postdocs who are applying machine learning in their research. So most of these experts that you're referring to, are they coming out of of UH in postdoc kind Um, of environments, or where, where are these experts? I would say our experts can be categorized into two groups. One are like postdocs. The other are machine learning consultants. Mm-hmm. And so they apply machine learning te- um, techniques f- basically for a living. And I would imagine there's also an, uh, perhaps an entrepreneurial part of this where you're trying to find commercial opportunities by using this technology. Is that correct? Um, yeah, that's correct. And to get back to Bird's point, um, that's sort of what we want to s- see in future meetups. We want to see how our members are actually applying machine learning in different companies. So in the environment that we're in now, in terms of the commercial environment, uh, where do you see, what companies do you see employing sort of these machine learning experts? Um, Is Hawaii? it, would it be banks or, yeah. um, I mean, I mean yeah. retail? I mean, where, where are these machine learning experts uh, actually getting employment? I'm not... Com- um, 100% sure, but I do know that banks use machine learning, for example, fraud detection to mm-hmm. determine or to predict whether or not someone will default on a loan. Um, Insurance companies, yeah, you think? exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you guys have been around for, what, uh, um, about six months? Mm-hmm. Um, six months now, but we've only been having um, presentations for three months, but membership has grown to over 100 members now. That's fantastic. So if somebody was interested in machine learning, is playing with machine learning or researching machine learning, how can they find your group and come and hang out and explore? Um, Well, we meet every first and third Monday at the Manoa Innovation Center's ideation room. And I'd just like to thank um, the HTDC for providing that venue for us. But um, if they want to find out more information about us, they can just Google Hawaii Machine Learning Meetup and we're pretty easy to find that. Do you one. have something yeah, happening uh, this this Saturday? Um, yeah, it's a study group. Um, a bunch of us um, are getting together to discuss an online machine learning course that we're going through. Oh, great, great. Okay, so we'll put that up on the show notes the uh, the uh, meetup location, and then uh, if people want to join in, I mean, mm-hmm. they can easily do that. Thanks, Matt, for great. joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Elliot Parks and Axel Lehrer. We'll talk about their latest work on fighting the Ebola virus. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Inter-Island Solar Supply, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. 
I would say that there's something here for everyone. I mean, I really do think so. Um, even for people who are sports or athletic, I mean, there's news here, there's information here. So I think a lot of people are like, what is that? And it's only for people that like, that like classical music. Um, that's just not been my experience. While I do enjoy classical music, there's so much more here. Member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us in the studio, Elliot Parks and Axel Lehrer. Elliot Parks is the president and CEO of Hawaii Biotech Inc. and brings to the company over 30 years experience in the in academic research, biomedical product development, executive management, and life science investing. Dr. Alex Lehrer, meanwhile, is an assistant professor at the John A. Burns School of Medicine. He has also received nearly $6.3 million to test whether the Ebola vaccine formula that he has developed will protect against two additional filoviruses, that's viruses in the same family as Ebola. And of course, uh, how does Hawaii Biotech and UH Jabsum complement each other in this effort to find the Ebola vaccine? We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Now, Elliot, you know, we've had you on uh, like about a year ago, and we were talking about a couple other, let's say, um, viruses that were affecting populations, uh, dengue on the big island and and um, and the uh, Zika virus. You guys should get around. Well, we, we try to cover the waterfront when it comes to tropical diseases, and certainly most of tropical diseases are spread by mosquitoes or other similar insects, and we spe- that's where we specialize. So, mm-hmm. so we do Zika. We do, um, we do, we've done dengue, sold the dengue vaccine to Merck. We're really interested in another, another virus called chikungunya, which, uh, which causes arthralgia, very painful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we're working with UH and, and Axel on Ebola. Now, just to con- kind of conclude, have you, um, have you gotten to sort of the commercial release of a Zika and dengue vaccine? Well, there is a dengue vaccine. Again, we sold ours to Merck. Merck's is still in development. Mm-hmm. But, and there's only one licensed vaccine, and it's, it's proven now not to be effective. Mm. And um, that, is, that was from, from? Sanofi Pasteur. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to go into in, in great detail, it, it doesn't really protect individuals, naive individuals. Uh, so it certainly doesn't work for travelers or anyone who hasn't had z- had dengue before. So does yours have more hope, I guess? And Well, and we certainly hope so. And I mean, when is Merck going to be able to they have to do the well, testing? Yeah. You, you, you can imagine how this goes. Once a big company has a vaccine out there, other folks wonder whether they need to put their money that direction. But now I think there's a – one could argue there's an explosion of interest in dengue now because the old front runner is no longer the front runner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, how's uh, how's it going with the Zika virus? Well, that's a that's a really interesting situation. You know, in late 2015, Zika was a huge problem in Brazil and and up into the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and we got involved very early on with help from some of our collaborators, and uh, went to the FDA and and had a very good relationship with them. Worked very rapidly. I mean, went from zero to the FDA in seven months. Excellent. Well, and. Uh, and, and then, and but but the, the what's happened since then is the virus has gone quiescent. It's still there, mm-hmm. but it's really mm-hmm. not in everybody's everybody's mind now. Uh, on the other hand, something like chikungunya persists and is around the world, and and that's why, from a commercial standpoint, 
chikungunya, something you know we've not talked about much in the public, is really more interesting than, than Zika. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully we'll have some time to explore that one. But uh, Dr. Lear, perhaps when we're talking about all of these diseases, it might get a little jumbled in someone's head. Uh, your research most recently focused specifically on Ebola. How, what would you describe as the key characteristics and really the primary threat that's presented by Ebola? Uh, well, I mean, as uh, e- Ebola has been a, a classical tropical disease, uh, people uh, remembered it as always kind of the, the scary thing on the news where you have a severe hemorrhagic fever developing. But typically, um, Ebola uh, occurred in, in some rural areas in, in Africa where it was then actually relatively quickly contained. Of course, the lethality of the disease is uh, tremendous. I mean, you have have uh, fatality rates between 50 and 90 percent, depending on the outbreak. So it's 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 a very uh, a serious virus affecting humans. The, what we have learned in the last um, well, it's uh, it's about four years now. It was actually in December of 2013 where the largest outbreak to date of Ebola started, with a small boy in in Guinea and West Africa. Mm-hmm. And of course, people remember that outbreak because in 20. 14, it was big on the news, and especially one of the things that we learned was how quickly a virus like that can actually leave the tropics and then actually make it also to our home soils, whether it is uh, in the U.S. or in Europe. So it's uh, it's it can be a scary uh, situation, and we do need to be prepared not only to protect those people that are responding to such outbreaks or people living in endemic areas, but we also need this uh, to protect the general population. Now, Axel, give us a bit of the the background how you and Elliot kind of kind of worked together and sprung forth, you know, with Hawaii Biotech and and now your research over at UH. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so um, actually, the history is that. Uh, uh, right out of school, I actually started a job as a junior scientist at Hawaii Biotech. Mm. This was in 2002, many years ago. And um, actually, pretty soon thereafter, uh, we started out with this filovirus research program. It was focused only on Ebola. Mm-hmm. What we had was the military actually approached us. We have uh, you know long ongoing collaborations with military researchers, and uh, they approached us and said, "Oh, um, you know, what about uh, your platform? Can we uh, generate proteins from those uh, from Ebola virus?" And uh, and so this is how how it all started. Uh, in those early days, we did not know that we actually actually had a very um, promising vaccine candidate in our hands. So um, it, is, it is very cumbersome to do all the testing. So it took us until 2005 to get proof of concept in small animals that was in mice. And then it took us until uh, 2011 until we had our first non-human primate efficacy tests that were successful. Now we're still talking, this was all before the big outbreak, in the early 2000s, uh, we actually were successful in getting funding for this program. And then came a longer time of uh, where actually the public interest had veined on these kind of diseases. Mm-hmm. So um, in this period, um, and that is where also the time falls, where I switched from industry to go uh, back to the un- university, uh, where now I'm in the Department of Tropical Medicine at Jabsom. 
And um, I found a new home there basically to continue the, you know, interesting research we were doing. Mm -hmm. And now our um, common interest, of course, is to not only do nice research, but we need to develop this now. Uh, The next step is to take it into clinical trials because we have shown uh, efficacy in non-human primates. This is the closest that you can get to a human and uh, now the next step will be to do all the development steps that are required. And, of course, uh, Elliot can t- uh, talk more about what all is needed there. And so we're very excited that we got this grant together. Mm-hmm. So, Elliot, I mean, taking a step back, uh, you know, Ebola is not perhaps top of mind right now. These things wax and wane in terms of the attention paid. Perhaps other things are more pressing for people Uh how susceptible would perhaps a community, for example, like Hawaii be to Ebola? I mean, is it a imminent threat of someone just getting on the wrong plane or at the wrong time? Or uh, is it something a little less menacing than that? Well, as, as Axel said, the challenge with Ebola is that it's, it's fatal in most cases, where the other diseases we talked about, you get sick, you, don't, you seldom die from them. So it, it is... It, the public health folks take this as a, as a real threat. Um, I think the hygiene in the first world is such that it's not as big a problem as it might be in certain other areas where where sanitation is poor, communication is poor, transportation is poor. But we certainly you know, are always cautious to make sure. I'm sure the public health folks in the state uh, keep their eye out for Ebola mm. or anything else that might come in. I mean, you know, it's, you have to fill out a form when you when you fly in every time. Now, you know, when you um, were kind of describing the work that you do with Ebola, a lot of times a vaccine will use a, you know, a dead virus to formulate, I guess, the vaccine. But in your case, you're not using virus, the virus itself. Right. Could some, you explain that? So Some vaccines use live virus that have, that have been attenuated, uh, don't cause disease. Uh, some use killed virus inactivated virus. Uh, but in either case, working with viruses to create vaccines is a, is either a, a safety issue mm-hmm. in the manufacturing or in the administration. You, you know, want to make sure these are ultra, ultra safe. We use very modern molecular biology techniques, gene engineering, and our vaccines are made with proteins, not with viruses. They, d- they don't replicate in the, in the vaccine. And it's much easier for us to show safety in a very straightforward manner than it is if we had a viral vaccine. Well, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that part of it, the safety as well and the handling. But we're going to take a short break. We will continue our conversation with Elliot Parks and Axel Lair about developing an Ebola vaccine. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I am Ryan Ozawa. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Elliot Parks and Axel Lear about a collaboration between Hawaii Biotech and the UH John A. Burns School of Medicine. And, of course, right before the break, we're talking about what actually goes into the Ebola vaccine. Now, when you said you have uh, proteins... Are the proteins as effective as, you know, let's say the live virus? I mean, how do you compare its effectiveness? Well, I mean, you demonstrate that in clinical studies, of course, but but in a theoretical 
sense, uh, our vaccines are what we call non-replicating. So we mm. need something, an immune enhancer, along with our protein, our representation of the virus. We need something else to to boost the immune response during vaccination. Mm -hmm. Now, Axel, you know, I imagine when you're at a cocktail party and people ask what you do and you say you research Ebola, they might take a couple of steps back. <laughs> I mean, how do you reassure someone in a few seconds that your research and these facilities that you're doing this research in Hawaii are certainly no threat? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, definitely um, has been a, a little bit of a, a learning curve for me as well, you know, to work with things like that. Uh, I, I, I used to work on, on sugarcane viruses before I started working on human viruses. <laughs> Back then, nobody was scared of me. Whereas then, you know, I, like you're saying, it's it's exactly this this uh, issue that uh, that people um, uh, at first, you know, are a little bit taken aback because they feel like, oh, yes, we work with uh, these viruses in our labs. We have students there. We have people that are out in the community. Uh, but, of course, uh, as Elliot said, what we do are uh, we produce recombinant proteins of those viruses, which means we just use uh, some uh, genetic information from the viruses to actually program some insect cells that we use to make protein. And that protein is then highly purified. So they're, they're totally safe in, in that uh, regard. And then, of course, we do have to work with other samples. So other samples includes now when we do immunogenicity studies, we need to look at whether that protein will actually work as a vaccine. So we so we work with, with animals on this and so on. But um, uh, we don't have and we don't use whole viruses for our research. Mm -hmm. Actually, you know, you said something interesting how you at UH and basically the, the work that you do is sort of the R – and what Elliot does at Hawaii Biotech is sort of the, the, the D, which is sort of the development and the research. So how does, how does that, I guess, the collaboration work together? I mean, are you guys always in contact? And how does your research benefit the development side? How, does, how do you direct maybe research that needs to further, uh, I guess, identify in which direction you might go from a, you know, from a developmental standpoint? Well, there, there are a lot of... Uh, industry standards that we have to follow on the development side. The Food and Drug Administration looks over our shoulder constantly, mm -hmm. uh, which which is a two-edged a two sword. It's difficult initially, but they become a barrier to entry for other folks who come behind us. Um, and and beside knowing what those steps are and, and following those steps, Axel is very creative. And to some extent, my role is to is to funnel his creativity into a final product. Because scientists, I've been a scientist, you know, we never want to stop. We always want to keep moving. For a product, you have to lock in a product iteration. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like, just like high tech, mm -hmm. that's the way biotech works. And, uh, and so that's, that's the fun part of our job. So where is this uh, Ebola vaccine in development now? You, I, I believe Axel mentioned that you have gone as far as testing on primates, the closest you can get to humans. But what does it take to get to that next threshold, which I imagine is, in fact, testing with human subjects? Uh, Axel. 
Well, um, uh, at the at the moment, our funding is actually uh, limited to only preclinical development. Mm-hmm. So, in the preclinical stage of development, what we do is we actually, and this is now where Hawaii Biotech comes in as an important partner. Uh, we take now uh, what we do in our lab, where we you know grow these cultures uh, on a scale that we can handle with you know our staffing and so on, and and convert it into a commercial process that can then later on be transferred to manufacturing facilities. Like Elliot said, this is high tech. We are programming cell lines to produce those proteins for us. Now these cell lines need to be tested that they are, you know, uh, apply that, you know, they they meet the standards that the FDA will have so that we can manufacture a product to go into humans. Ultimately, the end of this uh, stage of the development, that is what we got the gr- uh, this partnerships grant for, um, will and uh, generate those cell lines that then can be taken into this uh, advanced manufacturing that will generate the products that are under produced under good manufacturing practices. These are the the uh, products that will then formulate the final vaccine. You know, one of the unique things that uh, Hawaii Biotech is doing with with this uh, vaccine is the, the I guess the heat stabilization and the ability to have it be transferred. Transport it more easily. I mean, is that is that in fact a benefit or, or a, well, a differentiator? Why Biotech's doing that with Axel mm-hmm. very clearly. I mean, Axel, Axel, and, and collaborators that Axel's brought to our partnership have some technology that's very promising that might allow us to to store and transport a vaccine like this Ebola vaccine at room temperature. We're and, not there yet, but obviously there's benefits in that. And I guess, I guess, in terms of you know the normal transport of vaccines, I mean, it has to be refrigerated or has to be frozen. I mean, what's the the condition that that normally has to happen? Most vaccines are either refrigerated or frozen. Mm-hmm. The flu vaccine that you got at your pharmacy this fall was frozen and had to be thawed out for every for every individual. And Axel, I mean, what is it that? How is it that you are able to do this? <laughs> well, is I that mean, a secret? Yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> the secret actually is is just uh, the uh, the uh, C word uh, collaboration. So uh, one of the things that I learned very early in my career is that if you just sit in your lab or you know stand or work hard there, you are not going to go. Uh, you know, to where you need to be. Mm-hmm. We we would have not been able to get to this stage right now if we did not have collaborators in military labs or in NIH labs that were doing all of the important animal testing for us to test these products. The next thing is when you're out there, you're like Elliot said, yes, as a scientist, you're very excited. You you want to discuss, you know, your newest findings with other scientists. And in that, then you actually uh, meet other scientists that, that say, well, you know, I might have a better solution for this. Mm-hmm. So we actually were approached by another company that actually wanted to help us dry stabilize this mm-hmm. formulation. And as Elliot has mentioned now, of course, uh, I, uh, they, they, I mean, we're it's a team of uh, two two companies with uh, Jabsum, and um, you know, and that's that is really the secret. Mm-hmm. I mean, in order to to make progress. So to wrap up, uh, Elliot, I mean, what would be the greatest help to you? Let's say someone is vacationing; they're a pharmaceutical uh, executive or maybe a investor. I mean, um, what do you think would be the critical piece for your next step? Well, uh, the critical piece for our next step is always funding. Mm-hmm. 
and most, if not all, of our funding comes from the National Institutes of Health and the Department of Defense. Mm-hmm. And and our goal is to be the go-to for either of those entities mm. when it comes to what we do, and we work very hard to to uh, nurture that relationship and, and that reputation. Where can people find out more information about what's going on with Hawaii Biotech? Well, we, we try to update our website on a regular basis. We put all our publications on the website, and, of course, people can Google and find other publications if they don't want to go to the website. Well, Elliot Park is the president and CEO of Hawaii Biotech, Inc., and, of course, uh, Axel Lair is the assistant professor over at the John A. Burns School of Medicine. Thank you both for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's been our pleasure. All right. Thanks so much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. You can join us next week when we'll do our annual gadget roundup. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and you can catch us here every Wednesday on HPR One. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here next week for another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.